Turn in your Bibles, Romans chapter 6. We're back in Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And the title of the message is, Hear the Truth That Sets You Free. Romans chapter 6. And we're going to first begin in verse 12. Romans 6 verse 12. Hear the truth that sets you free. So I heard a story about a little farmer's market. And in one of the booths, they were selling quail. And this guy had about 30, 40 quail. And what he did is he tied a string to one of the, the, the feet of the quail. So he had like all these strings tied to these quails. And uh, of course, he wants to sell them. He wants to get rid of them and things. And these quail just were walking around this pole uh, or walking only so far, of course, that they could because they were tied to the pole. They were strung up. And so an interesting buyer approached and said, well, how, how long have you had these, these quail kind of tied up? He said, a little over an hour. He said, well, I'll, tell you what, I'll, I'll take all of them. So there's a transaction. And then now the new owner just take, took a knife and he began to just cut the strings of the quail. And people are watching this, kind of amazed that the quail were not flying away or running away. No, they just, they just kept walking around that pole. They were just walking only so far as they were tied up. And it leads us to this idea that you can be free, but not free. I mean, it's possible, it's like the, the strings are cut or the door is open. Like just think of children of Israel, door out of Egypt, you know, marked with lamb's blood, freedom. Step into this. Of course, the ultimate lamb of God brings deliverance to the entire world. Jesus said, I am the door. It's possible though, you could be, you know, I don't know, taken hostage and the door is open, run, get, get, get out. Uh, but it's possible someone doesn't seize it. And this is the point Paul is actually making in Romans chapter 6, verse 12, when he's basically saying, look, the reality is, is the Lord has cut the ties in our life. He's cut the strings. Can I hear an amen to that? And he says in verse 12, look, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. It's like the reality is, is that strings have been cut. The door has actually been open. And it's in a context here, Romans 6, that the strings, the strings represent like the debt of sin and the power of sin, have been cut. Step into your freedom. Step into your potential in Christ. And he communicates this, actually bringing the picture of baptism. It's like when we are baptized publicly, we're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the water doesn't have any particular power in our life. We're actually celebrating what has already taken place in our life. And in Christ, actually, we have identified with Jesus' death. Our old man dies. We are new in Christ. Now raised up with the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. So now there's like this like this obviously new life. Any man being Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. The, the idea is that, hey, I have the freedom to choose what is right. I have the freedom to choose what is best. I have the freedom actually now to live up my potential to the glory of God, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Question is, question is, are we walking out of enslavement? The question is, are, are we stepping into this freedom that is in Christ? This was what Paul 
is addressing. This is what we're going to be hovering over. Look at verse 3. We're going to read quite a bit here. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The Bible speaks of baptism in a variety of way, ways. The idea is to be immersed uh, actually, the Bible speaks of being baptized in suffering, where there are seasons where it's intense. The Bible speaks of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, empowers us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The Bible says we're also baptized in the body of Christ, fused in Christ in us. Positionally, we're loved, we're favored, we're empowered. Okay, so he's drawing, though, from this picture of baptism, like public identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, speaking to our identity, speaking like who we really are. Like, I started out talking about this guy who cut strings to quail. When, and it's like Paul was saying, hey, look, I mean, we're, we're baptized. So it's like the old man is dead. You're, we're all under new management. I mean, Jesus is in us, and he's leading the way. It's like we got to step into this new life. So this is what he's developing so it says in verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism, baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in, what's that next word, you guys? Newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, this is huge, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, right? We've been freed. Or look up here for a second. Imagine, imagine a vine that is wrapped around a really big oak, and it's just, you know, it's kind of restricting the growth of this tree or it's causing some type of infection, I don't know. And uh, it'd be one thing to like try to pull the vine off and you're just like trying to deal with it and stuff from the top down. It'd be something entirely different. It's like if you just went right to the root and you just like cut the root. You just like, you got it to the source and now this whole vine is like sinking dead. Now it just starts to dry up and fall off. In a similar way, when Christ comes into our life, he cuts the power of the debt of sin and power of sin in our life. That's very critical. And listen, believe that because that's the truth. So here's the reality. the reality. The reality is behind every self-defeating act in our life is a lie that we believe. It's like if, I, it's like if I'm like, man, doing a bunch of stuff that's self-defeating, pulling me down, I'm not informed by the truth. If, if, listen, if I'm not living my potential in Christ, we're all in process, none of us are perfect, but the thing is it's traced back actually that I'm being formed by a lie. Every self-defeating reality, if you think of our own life, our families, if there's breakdown, it's traced back not to believing what is true. It's traced back to actually believing a lie. Every self-defeating act, and we're going to build this out a little bit, uh, sin in our life, is a lie that we believe, and I just double down on this because it's just, this is the truth Christ is in us. This is the truth he paid the debt of our sin. This is the truth. We have freedom to choose what is best and to move out of our addictions and grow in full potential in Christ. That's the truth. 
No matter how we're feeling, that's the truth. And it's so beautiful, isn't it? And, and so he says, actually in verse 10, the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, do not let sin reign in your body. It's a choice that you should obey it in its lusts. You know, in 1941, President Roosevelt, great president, gave a speech on his vision of freedom. Of course, we're, I mean, we're just talking about actually before Pearl Harbor. But, you know, World War II in Europe was just, was on fire. But he gave this speech and he said that he hoped for a day that there would be freedom of speech. I love that, right? We're speaking being. And he talked about freedom of worship. Thank God for that. Thank God that our Constitution guarantees those rights, by the way. But then he also said, look, he, he hopes for a day of freedom from want. And that's like the 10th commandment there, freedom of covetousness. He's, he's hoping for a day that people wouldn't be possessed by possessions or possessed by materialism that, you know, promises that life is in the abundance of what you possess, but that's not true. And we talked about this last week. It's like he who dies with the most toys wins nothing, right? And we talked about that. I say, so he's just hoping that people would be free like life is not in the abundance of what you possess. He hopes there would be a day that people are not bound by the intoxication of materialism. And then also, he said, he hoped for a day freedom from fear. Why? Because your life can be ripped off by the paralysis and a fear that makes what is not real seem real. I heard a story about a young man. He was battling with these things. He was battling with essentially covetousness and, and he was battling with fear and he went to a pastor and uh, just poured his heart out and the pastor said, look, this, this is what you need to do. I mean, I, I can see you're troubled. Uh, I, I hear there's a comedian in town and he's really good and you just need to get your mind off things. Go and have some laughs and there's this long pause and this young man said, pastor, I am that comedian. Which is another way of saying that, hey, you know, yeah, laughter is a good medicine, but we need more than laughter to grow and to be set free. And point number one is healing, growth, and freedom all require truth. Truth. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth, the truth shall set you free. He said, thy word is truth. Here's the incredible thing. I love this so much. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Man, go back to Romans 1. You guys, Romans is all about truth. I mean, actually what Paul is doing, he's identifying the authoritative diagnosis of man, the truth about man, like what's the truth about us, and the solution to man's condition. So he's revealing the truth. Okay, we need to know the truth and act on the truth. Because I mentioned, because every sin is a lie that is believed. And 2,000 years ago, here you have this Jewish man named Paul who is an ambassador of the truth. And what is he doing at this time? He's actually penning this book to the heart of the imperial cult of Rome that actually believed that the emperor of Rome was the son of God. And right off the bat he says, that's a lie. That, that, that's a lie. You believe that? You believe a man can become a God? That's a lie. I mean, 
You talk about chutzpah from this Jewish Orthodox follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly, he just said, right off the bat, I'm just telling you, you guys believe that the emperor is the son of God, son of Caesar, son of the divine. It's a lie. It's a lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be up front. It's a lie. I mean, it's like, listen, one of the problems, unfortunately, in the pulpits, God help us all, by the way, is there's an absence to challenge the will of man today with the truth and call for course correction. It's true. I mean, not Paul. I mean, this is like, I love the first four verses. I just love it. Look at this. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus, a slave by choice, he's saying. It's like the, the more I, in other words, like the more I follow Jesus and the more I obey him, the freer I get. I mean, that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit. Called to be an apostle, separated of the gospel of God. Watch this. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus, Messiah, our Lord, born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of, can everybody say it? God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Oh, man, I love that. Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is there's one king. Jesus is the king. He's the Davidic king. It's demonstrated by his resurrection. That's the truth. Believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's the truth. You will be blessed. You you, you believe he's the son of God, God the son. You will be blessed. That will set you free in a big way. Hey, you know, British agnostic George Littleton I'm just thinking of the dynamics of here. Paul, who's a Pharisee, came to faith in Jesus Christ, right? Follower of Jesus. Chutzpah here to, to just pin a, a book, heart of the imperial cult, and basically say, you guys, you need a course correct, challenging them. And, and I mentioned Littleton because he actually believed that Paul here was, was this figure in history was made up. He, he, he thought, man, that, this is like too good to be true. You're telling me a Jew in, in the name of Jesus, right, is taking on the Roman Empire, the lies of the Roman Empire. And it, it's like, you know, and then this idea that Paul penned two-thirds of the New Testament, I don't believe it. And, and I'm actually going to do some research, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to do some research, and I'm going to prove that Paul never existed. Here's the thing. He ended up doing a lot of research he wrote the book, Observations on the Conversion and Apostleship of St. Paul, and he concluded that Paul is true, and he got converted in the process, all right? So I'm just, I'm just drawing out. It's like, man, the, the drama here is monstrositous. So it's like Jesus is the true Son of God, but Paul continues with the truth that the worldview of the Roman Empire is, was confronted, which was influenced by Greek philosophy and Greek culture, and he goes on, and we talked about this, but the authoritative diagnosis for the breakdown of man is suppression of conscience and suppression of the reality of creator. When you do those two things, it gets dark really quick. Everything gets turned up. So he explains you have same-sex dynamics and stuff, and it's just the whole family nucleus is challenged, and anybody who embraces sexual immorality uh, is, is guilty before God. But anyone, maybe not even is participating in sexual immorality, but would actually 
uh, support the ideas of sexual immorality is guilty of perpetuating a deception. And they are just as guilty. That's what Paul is saying. So it's like, I'm going to confront the lies, authoritative diagnosis of man. Let's turn to chapter 5, you guys. We're just getting a little running start around the bullseye here. And now as he moves into chapter 5, he now talks about the, the authoritative diagnosis of man from the perspective of Adam. It's, it's like, hey, he addressed Greek and Roman culture. In chapter 2, he talks about Jews, that God gave the law to spotlight their need for ultimate Messiah, that they need help outside themselves. He talks about how a, a, a non-Jew has conscience that accuser excuses their actions. But as we get to Romans chapter 5, Look here with me in verse 12. Now he's like even panning the picture back the further that will draw out what the nature of man is, the truth of, uh, of man, that all humanity is actually intrinsically flawed. And he draws this out because it goes back to Adam, he says. In verse 12 he says, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And he's talking here about Adam. If I just jump down to verse 18, he says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even through, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Just look up here for a second. Big picture. Authoritative diagnosis of man. Chapter 1, he's going after Greek and Roman culture. There's a course correction that's he's challenging it. We need Jesus Christ. He's the true king. And now he pans back the picture even more, identifying why man is who he is by nature. It goes back to, it could be kind of this spiritual virus, this pathogen that the whole human race has been affected by. And every human being is actually born with this nature down to the chromosomal level. We, we have a bent towards self. We sin because we are sinners. Because on a chromosomal level, we've been affected by a weakness passed on going all the way back to Adam. This is the argument of Scripture. King James Version commonly identifies this nature of ours, this sinful nature as the flesh, right? Which sounds so sweaty, blubbery, and grotesque. Right? Especially these days. Especially these, this, this heat wave, right? But here, here's the idea. The act of sin is selfishness. Just think sin with a capital I. That, that word. Capital I. I want to do what I want to do, not what God wants me to do. It's like self-ruling. And when self is managing, it hurts myself, it hurts other people as well. Because if I'm, listen, here's the thing. If I'm managing my life, and then I have some uh, relational issues and stuff and challenges, I'm going to draw from tools, right, from my own resources. Like, you know what, I think I'm going to throw a little excessive anger at this. Maybe that will help. How about some manipulation or shame or hatred 
pride, or sneaky hiding, or self-centeredness. I mean, this is all the flesh. This is, this is just like doing it my way. By the way, there is a theme song in hell. I did it my way, right? So, okay, so it's like, it's just selfishness, selfishness, selfishness. Hey, the paraphrase on Galatians 5.19, just check this out. Enjoy the read, although it's not fun to talk about this, but he's talking about just the sinful nature. It's obvious, it writes, what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way? Trying to get your way all the time. It's repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, stinking accumulation of mental, emotional garbage, frenzied and joyous grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic, joy, religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on and on. Do you guys want me to go on and on here? I say, actually, that's the paraphrase of Galatians chapter 5. Look, what is the solution to the sinful nature bent on self? Are you guys tracking with me, by the way? It's Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus said, you, you, you must be born again to not only see but enter in to the kingdom of heaven. So here's the thing. As we, as we gonna, we're just going to prep a little bit to, to hone in on the passage we read in chapter 6. But I just want to make a little, a little juncture here, a little turn. And I want us to bring in the picture of Passover real quick. Because Paul actually makes reference. He makes a Passover reference in chapter 3. Verse 25, when he says that the Lord passed over our sins. Okay, so you guys, here's the idea. If you go back to Egypt real quick, let's just all go there. Let's imagine we're Jews in Egypt. The door out of enslavement is marked with lamb's blood. Can, can I hear an amen to that? So it's like, man, we got to get out of here, man. This tyrannical leader, the stinking totalitarianism, it's like God created man to be free to worship, free to speak. You know, it's um, not to be under the thumb of this. And I got to, you know, Lord has a plan for Israel. Ultimately, in and through Israel, the entire world's blessed the Messiah. But listen, we're, the only way out, the only way out is through a specific door, lamb's blood. And of course, 1,300 years later on Passover, Jesus is lifted up on the cross and he's, he's the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. But watch. So we exit out of a door. God has passed over Egypt. He's brought judgment because of rebellion. And by the way, gave Egypt just so many chances. But he brought judgment on their firstborn. Those who are free leave the door marked with lamb's blood. And of course, now we need to keep walking. We need to just keep, keep walking. Because God has a promised land, right? So we need to keep walking. But we know that Israel stalled in the wilderness. And, and actually, many wanted to return to Egypt. And as I mentioned earlier, it's like, you've got to remember, behind every self-defeating act in our life is a lie believed. It's like, why would you want to go back to Egypt? It's like, well, because the garlic's phenomenal. And it's because, the, you know, it's like the food is much better. And we're in the wilderness. I know, but you're like... Like, that's a really bad reason. 
And it's like, you, that, that's, you're going back to enslavement. That's, in, that's insane. So it's like, if you, if you buy into that, you're just buying into a lie. Not to mention the fact, you know, as Jews were called by, by God for a divine purpose. Now, Jesus said, like, I am the door. And, and the door to freedom is Jesus Christ, which is really twofold. One, it's positional. One is it's a secure relationship as a child of God. And we've talked about this. It, it, it's, it's that we, we have been justified. That's a legal term. We, we've been declared righteous. Praise God for that. Like, we still have a sinful nature, but we have new identity before God. Not only Christ in us, but before our Heavenly Father, He's declared us righteous. He has taken Jesus' righteousness and attributed it to us. And, and it's like we talked about this. So imagine like you're in debt, and, and I don't know, maybe a million dollars. And um, I, I don't know, you, you know, you're a friend of Bill Gates. He's not too popular these days. Forget that illustration. No. But anyways, someone puts like a billion dollars in your bank account. You're like, oh my goodness. That covers the debt plus a lot of assets to work with. So justification is not only forgiveness of our sins and our debt before Almighty God, but it's the necessary assets to keep walking, to keep moving into freedom, all right? That, that's just all there. It's like one of my favorite movies is Lawrence of Arabia. I, I love the movie. And uh, the, the story is about an Englishman's influence on how the, the, the modern Middle East came into shape. But one of the reasons I love this movie is, is the cinematography is phenomenal. And the desert scenes, and it just reminds me of Israel in some ways. And, um, but I, I read a story that Lawrence brought some of his Arab friends to London. Now, you got to remember, they're like, you know, a, a desert people. So, like, they're, in, they're in tents, and they're Bedouins. It's like they've never been to a modern city before. And so they're just taken in, you know, London uh, years ago. But what they're most blown away by, in, it's actually in the hotel is they were, they were freaked by the water faucet in their hotel where they would just like turn a lever and water would come out. There's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I mean, it's like, we got to do a well in the desert. It's like, you just, you, just, you just turn this thing and you get water? And so as the story goes, when they were leaving the hotel, Lawrence comes into his friend's uh, a, a hotel room and, and his friend is trying to rip off the faucet. You know, he's just trying to like, he's thinking to himself, man, if I just take this lever, man, I don't know, just move it a little bit. I'm going to get some water, man. I'm going to take this back to the desert, right? Okay, what's the point? The, the point is before Christ, we were just like a faucet with, with, with no source. But once we came to Christ, oh, now we have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Here's the thing. That's the truth. That's truth. Truth is essential that we believe. And the second idea, so positionally, we're that justified. All that is taken care of. We're in Christ. But the other essential to freedom, to change and growth is a process. That requires obedience to the truth. And that's point number two. Point number two is behind every self-defeating act in our lives is a lie we have believed. I've mentioned that. But, but here's the thing. The, the lie is either we lie to ourselves, 
We lie to ourselves that this is not really a problem. You know, maybe my finances is not a problem, or marriage is not a problem, or temper is not an issue. No, it's not a problem. And, and, and listen, by nature, we're really good at lying to ourselves. We're, re- we're really good at, at not facing the facts, actually. Uh, or we believe one of Satan's lies, which is, you know, can God really be trusted here? Are you sure he has your best interest in mind? And the answer to these things isn't positive thinking. It isn't positive thinking. Which, which by the way, I mean, truth is neither positive nor negative. I mean, that just sounds like electricity right there. Truth is truth. Thy word is truth. Truth will set you free. So Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're going to experience this freedom. So this is a process. So if we go to verse 6, and we've kind of dealt with this, but just look at verse 6 of chapter 6. I mean, when he says here, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, the truth is, just getting back to this metaphor, Jesus cut the strings that bind us. That's what Paul is saying. In Romans 12 through 14, again, we, we, we read a little bit of it. Let's just read again verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not present your members as an instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What's the truth? We have a a choice. We have a choice to live in freedom. And and the more we obey, the freer we are. On the other hand, and we're going to address this, on the other hand, it's like if I'm a slave, if I choose to obey sin, it leads to further lawlessness. It leads to further breakdown. This is just simple doctrine, but it's so important. And, and it reveals why we do something that we know is bad for us, because we think there's some kind of payoff, and that's the lie. I mean, disobeying God may be convenient, or it may be at a momentary pleasure, but the payoff is always breakdown. It always worsens. It leads to addiction. I mean, just think of the, the 9-11 terrorists. I've used the illustration before, but, um, you know, the 9-11 terrorists, some of them, they actually came to America, landed in L.A. They walked through the same passport control that many of us have walked through. They, they, they picked up their bags where many of us have picked up their bags. They left the terminal. There's just one way out of, you know, uh, Bradley International um, terminal there, and they walked right out, okay? So at that point, you just have a few, you know, terrorists in our land. I don't know who's picking them up or they're getting a taxi or whatever. But there's a little foothold. There's just a little opening to some really bad influence. And and that, that bad influence got worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, give Satan control of one little part in our life His influence can can be monstrosities. And and this is what Paul is addressing. If you look at verse 21, 
Well, actually, excuse me. Hold on a second. I'm going to go. Listen, let's go, let's go to verse 15. What, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's a good thing. It's like you want to do what is right, you want to do what is right, you want to do what is right. Because you do that, you're, the freer you get. And Paul is saying, look, in verse 19, I speak in human terms. Like, in other words, I'm trying to illustrate this. Because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. It's like sin deceives and deceives and deceives. Break down, break down, break down, break down. So now present members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Can I hear an amen to that? Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is just death. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, uh, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. And point number three, we have it up on the screen is look, salvation is the miracle of the moment. It's like it's a gift. We receive it by faith. But those who, to whom have received that gift, they have genuine relationship with the Lord, then they continue in relationship. Discipleship or growth is a process of a lifetime being renewed in truth and acting on the truth. Now, here's the thing. If Paul was here, if I could be so bold, um, he, he might paraphrase it by saying, this, saying it this way. He might say, you know, the more you keep walking out of the door of Egypt, like the more you keep walking into your freedom and potential in Jesus Christ, the more you actually realize the extent of the need for a rescue in your life. So in, in some ways, it could be said, like, the closer you get to the Lord, I mean, we're really close to him because we're sons and daughters, but I'm talking about renewal and growth as you grow in Christ, the more you, you realize, whoa, I did not realize the extent of my need for a rescue. It's like, look, the Lord, the Lord ran me down, not ran me over. I, 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 when we were praying for our governor, I said, Lord, run him down, and I didn't mean run him over, okay? I mean, I think someone came up to me afterwards and thought I said that. I wasn't saying that. It's just the idea that the Lord pursued us. That's what I was trying to say, yeah? But, I mean, I was on the eve of my 16th birthday. Listen, seriously, like, I, I you know, grew up in a great family, wonderful mom, I love her so much. My dad, phenomenal. My brother came to know Jesus Christ, and, and, and he told me, Greg, you're either for Christ or against him, and there's no middle ground. And, and I, I, I knew Christ was outside the door. I was leaving him out in the cold. I knew I, knew I was a sinner, super convicted. And uh, I knew I needed Jesus Christ. Just a lost kid who needed the Lord. And we all need him. Can I hear another amen to that? Right? So it's like, yeah, here's the thing. I didn't realize the extent of my need for him at 16. I mean, I started to realize, whoa, man. I mean, I, I was a sinner. I need forgiveness. But I... 
you know, 25. Wow, I didn't even know that about myself. I mean, it's like he knows things about us that we don't even know about ourselves, and he still loves us. And I just went through that, like, whoa. And then it's like, I don't know, whatever, 35 or 45, and you're just like, golly, man, thank you, Jesus. You knew everything about me. You still loved me. You've begun a good work in me. You're going to complete it. I'm so grateful. It's like, the, the, the point is, is like, it, it's, like, it's like a home that needs a total makeover. It's like I'm, in, I'm still in process. I didn't realize. I, I didn't realize the depth of my need for Jesus Christ. And I'm mentioning this because this is what Paul is dealing with in Romans 7. He's just like, and in fact, I'm going to put a, just a bunch of scriptures up here, abbreviate a little bit of Romans 7, where Paul's just like, hey, for what I, what I, what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. I don't know if anybody can, can relate to that. And by the way, this was before golf was invented. You hear what I'm saying? See that right there? For what I will do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. That sounds like my golf game right there. And then he says, like, in verse 20, I, I find that evil is present with me, and the wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So, so here, here's the thing. We're born again in Christ. We have new identity, debt, power of sin, new life, but we still have this nature we're dealing with. And every genuine believer will say, it's like, I, I still know that there's an inherent weakness in my life. And if I think, of, I think of ways in which, to be frank with you, I've fallen short. I think of my precious bride, who's just so phenomenal. But if there's any falling short, to be frank with you, is if I sin, like, oh, if, if I offended my wife or I've done something, generally, it's not intentional. It isn't. It's generally, it's like, ah, man, I just, but that was a blind spot. Or, gee, I was a little reactive there, but I wasn't like, I'm trying to sin or blow it. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it. There is such a thing as involuntary sin. We're still responsible for it. The Bible says in Leviticus that one of the sacrifices that were offered was like just involuntary sins of weakness, where you fall short. I mean, there's, there's trespasses. I, I, I choose to you know, cross the line that's intentional. And then there's just times like, golly, man, I blew that. I apologize. I take res- I'm in responsibility for my choices, but it's not like I tried to intentionally blow it. Hope you guys are tracking with me. Paul is just saying, hey, man, it's, I'm, I'm new in Christ, but I got to tell you, I'm going to paraphrase this. The closer I get to him and walk with him, I realize, ah, oh, I still have this battle of this inherent weakness, the flesh, the sinful nature. And so he says in verse 24 of uh, Romans chapter 7, it's like, who will deliver me from this body of death? And it's like, oh, there's really, really good news. There's really good news. In fact, let's pick it up here in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. In verse 1 of chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now there's some nuance there that we're going to unpack in the weeks to come. There's some details there, but I just want you to see the big picture, and that is that. Look, 
We're all in process. The door out of enslavement has been marked by the Lamb's blood, the Lamb of God. He paid it all for us on the cross. We are free from debt. We're free from power. We're, we, we've, the strings have been cut. We need to keep moving. And yet, ultimately, we know that we have a need for a brand new body. And that brand new body is our resurrected bodies. All of creation. Paul's going to unpack this in Romans 8. All of creation is groaning for the transformation that Jesus Christ will bring, not only to our own lives, but actually to the world when he reigns on planet Earth. So you guys, look, what's the truth that sets us free? We've been talking about it. How do we know that what we've been talking about is true? Hey, I know it's true because Jesus resurrected from the dead. And he's the captain of our salvation. Look, there's three reasons why someone doesn't embrace the Lord Jesus, all of which, seriously, is behind the scenes is a lie that they're believing. It's not the truth. And, um, and, 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 and one is, is like I hear, the, I, 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 I hear the truth, but I just don't want to respond because I'm holding on to something that I, I would prefer to hold on to. I, I don't know, some sin, some, some compromise, some relationship that isn't right. And, and I just know if I follow Christ, I, I'm going to have to give that up. But listen, like when, you know, when, we, when we give up what is not right, the Lord always replaces it with something far better. It's like, do, do we have to give up anything to follow Christ? Yeah, like depression, give up depression. Or, you know, give up guilt, right? Because he forgives us of our sins. Give up self-defeating habits because he wants to replace them with wholeness. The truth shall set us free. In Christ we are free. I want to pray. Father, thank you for your word. I want to thank you for every precious one in this place. And you guys, just in the attitude of prayer. And I would just ask, would you, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? A private moment, please. How many of you just say, you know, Greg, that message spoke to me. And I... I believe the Lord is calling me, like calling me into a new beginning and a new trust and a new obedience. Hey, listen, I've been marinating in this message uh, for a large part of this week, so the Lord has been fine-tuning me and bringing renewal. But look, it, just as a believer, as a believer, you're thinking, this has spoken to me, and it's like the truth that sets us free. And uh, I, this is a new season. This is a, a season of new obedience for me. And the Lord is calling me into it. Look, if that's you, raise your hand because I want to just pray for you. I'm not going to pray for you by name. God bless you guys. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, Lord, you see hands and you know hearts and you know circumstances of lives. And I just want to thank you that you're at work. I just want to thank you that you're bringing renewal. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're bringing rescue. Um, and, I, and I pray for all of us, Lord, uh, as we have studied this very passage, may it be an extraordinary week of continued upward trajectory, growing in potential, and growing in the freedom and health and growth you have purposed for us. And I just finally want to just pray, Lord, help us search our hearts and minds. If we're being informed by anything less than truth, Help us with the courage to confront it and replace it with what is true.
And I, and I just finally want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to open their heart to you and embrace you as Savior and Lord. You say, Greg, what does that even mean? Well, one thing that it means is, look, we, we, we don't have the strength to live the life God intended for us. We, don't, we need him. We were made for relationship. So it's a really good place to say, like, Lord, I, I need your help. It's like the sinner in the Bible who, who says, God, have mercy upon me. That's a great thing, actually. The Bible says, all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The point is, we all need help outside of ourselves. We all need forgiveness. We all need Jesus. So for someone to say, hey, I need help, great. Because there's no hope when we live in denial. You know, we're just, we want to be truthful before God and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. As I said earlier, I alluded to this, the reality is, is that good people don't get to heaven, only forgiven people do. You ha it's actually a legal act. You have to be declared righteous, justified. And number two, Jesus said, unless one repents, they'll perish, break down now and forever. And uh, repentance is like a course correction. It's a U-turn in life. So you've been moving away from God, and now it's like, okay, I'm going to make a course correction U-turn, and I'm going to turn back. I'm going to turn to him and follow Christ and receive his forgiveness. Listen, it's impossible actually to be right with God unless you're convicted. It's like, man, you're moving away from him. Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. Don't go that way. He says, there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few be that find it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to him. And, and the Bible says, those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. I mean, he really is just a prayer away. And I, I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer if you would like to open your heart to him. There's not a sin he won't forgive. In, except the person who continues to reject him and, and, and does so up to the point that they stand before him. My point is, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And, and the Lord has set before us life, death, blessings and cursings, and he says, choose life. Those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. And the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And so I, I, I just want to lead anyone here who would like to receive Christ, the truth that sets you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except to be through me. So, hey, listen, if you want to pray to receive Christ and turn to him, join this prayer. And church family, if you'd like to join in, that'd be great. Pray with me. Lord Jesus... I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me and paying the debt of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and fill me with the life of God. Thank you for dying for me, resurrecting from the dead, forgiving me of my sins, and now making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.